Hey everybody, Adam Stott here. Thanks for checking out my podcast, Business Grow Secrets. You're absolutely in the right place. This podcast is going to reveal to you all of the secrets that you've been looking to discover that are going to allow you to cure your cash flow problems, attain more clients, bring in more leads for your business, and create systems and processes that give you the growth that you want. You are going to discover the business growth secrets you have been looking for that I've used to sell over £50 million worth of products and services on social media and help clients everywhere to grow their businesses on the mark. So let's get started on the Business Growth Secrets podcast. First off, a couple of years ago, we run an event in the Millennium Gloucester, invited this person down to come do the event and was absolutely stunned with the amount of energy they brought to the table, the stories that they told, told a fantastic story about working with Oprah Winfrey, becoming one of the biggest names in America in relationships before being invited over to the UK and becoming a big star in the UK. And our guest today is currently on TV right now, every night in the UK, hosting for many of you's favorite relationship program, Married at First Sight. Any of you watching that right now? Yeah, raise your hands if you're watching that, yeah? Okay, lots of you. So yeah, Paul Brunson is going to be joining us today. So the host of Married at First Sight, the host of Celebs Go Dating, also known as one of the most gorgeous men in the UK, all right? So apart from me, you know, he's <laughs> runner-up, I think, in the polls at the minute, right? But yeah, no, Paul is an absolutely incredible guy. He's had such a, a huge career in business, has achieved some amazing things in the UK, and I'm really looking forward to welcoming him on today. Nick, do you want to see if, is, are they in the house? Yeah, maybe so he is here. I've just been outside for half hour, so don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, no, Paul is an incredible guy. He's just written a, a brilliant book, which I'm sure he'll tell us a little bit about, which is all about finding the right partner. One of the number one relationship experts in the world has also been somebody that's a huge content creator, a mentor and coach for LinkedIn. So LinkedIn's one of one of LinkedIn's preferred mentors for coaching people. An incredible guy, had some massive success, has built multiple different companies, took a company public as well. So he's got a huge array of success. So it's going to be when he comes in a moment, we're going to give him a, a level 50 gold circle standing ovation round of applause. Does that sound good, everybody? Yes or no, team? And uh, his energy is phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to welcoming him on. So we're ready? So I wonder if we could all stand. Yeah. Okay, let's give a big level 20 round of applause to the one, the only, Paul Brunson, everybody. Let's keep it high. What's up, good people? Hey there, hey there, hey there, hey there, hey there, hey there. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at this. I love it. How's everyone? Great. Good? Yeah. This is the very excited side. <laughs> this is the very analytical side. I like it. 
Yeah. Brilliant. Well, welcome, Paula. Thank uh, you. Absolutely brilliant to have you here. I've always said that since we first had you over, a couple of years ago, I think now, that you've been my favourite speaker. Oh, my goodness. Of all time. Oh, my goodness. From all the speakers we've ever had. I think you were there, Sunil. You were there, weren't you? <laughs> so, oh my gosh, no, the, no pressure. Pressure. <laughs> the pressure, the pressure, the oh pressure. So, welcome, and look, obviously, doing an amazing job at the moment on Married at First Sight, and I'm sure we might have some questions around that later on. But you've got this massive background as of being an entrepreneur, lifted yourself up, and built your own journey on the way up, which is pretty incredible. Um, many people won't know that story and the kind of successes that you've had in business. Done some great things in matchmaking. Do you want to maybe take us back and tell us a little bit about that early journey? How did you become one of the number one relationship experts in the world? How did you get these TV spots? End up working with Oprah Winfrey, writing your book, having all the success. Where did we start from? Oh, my gosh. Well, it started in 1980 in New York. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but one, can I say is, Adam, thank you for the invite. It, this is truly an honor. Anytime you have an opportunity to tell your story to a group, especially of high-performing entrepreneurs, it's a privilege. So, so thank you. Truly, it's, it's an honor Pleasure. to be here. A lot of people don't know this about me here. So when I got to the UK five years ago, I like reverse engineer it. I came over because I was given an invitation to co-host a show called Celebs Go Dating. And then I co-hosted that show. And then from there, I was given an invitation to co-host a show called Married at First Sight. And then I was given opportunity to have a segment on Lorraine. And so what ended up happening is that I was coming to the UK, going back to the US, coming to the UK, going back to the US. But by the time I got to the UK, I had sold off my business in the United States. And so the UK really saw me as, you're just the relationship guy. You're just the matchmaker guy. But in the United States, I was considered the relationship business guy. And the reason why is because I have an MBA. I went to business school. I went to Georgetown. I started as an investment banker. I've built two very large businesses, one that's still in place right now. It does over 40 million US, not pounds, but close. Uh, but it is the largest for-profit university in Washington, DC called BAU University, right? So these are some of the things that I've done on the business. I was a business columnist for USA Today. Uh, so. I've done the business side, but then also the relationship side, because I built a matchmaking agency as well. But I think ultimately where it probably began is, it began quite honestly when I read a book called, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever heard of this book? No. no, I needed a white guy to say, yes, I'm sorry, <laughs> yes. Oh, you've, you've heard of this book? Oh, wow, okay, did you read the book? Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, what did you think of the book? Yes, very well. I, I agree. The, the title's inflammatory, right? It is. It is a black man on the cover smoking this massive cigar. And I remember walking into the bookstore when I was in college with my then girlfriend. And I looked at that book and I said, oh my God, this is the wildest title I've ever seen in my life, right? It was loud. And I asked my girlfriend to buy the book for me because I didn't have enough money to buy the book. But she was like, he wants to read, so I'm going to buy this. This is good, right? It turned out that at 18 years old, that was the first book I had ever read in my life cover to cover. First book cover to cover was that particular book. 
and the book was about an entrepreneur named Reginald Lewis. Anyone heard of Reginald Lewis in this room? Oh, come on now. I thought I'm in a room full of entrepreneurs. All right, you must write this down, Reginald Lewis. At the time, Reginald Lewis was, he was actually the first person ever to attend Harvard University without taking the LSAT. You know this because you've read the book. He also created the largest leverage buyout firm in the world. Let me repeat that. The largest leverage buyout firm in the world, right? So he did all these incredible things. At the time of his death, he was the wealthiest African-American. And the book was just basically about how you can apply these basic business principles to not just build your business, but how you can create systems for yourself to basically, you know, build yourself into an entrepreneur. And that's exactly what I took from the book. And so as soon as I read the book, I saw how Reginald Lewis had a mantra that he wrote in his room, right? So I wrote my own mantra. You know, this is what I'm gonna do. I saw how he would make his bed in the morning. I'm gonna make my bed in the morning. I saw how he would fo <laughs> focus on physical fitness. Why? Because he said, your body's your vessel. You need to be there, right? So I'm gonna focus on physical fitness. All of these things that Reginald Lewis was doing, I was doing. But in particular, what I love most about Reginald Lewis, to be quite honest, is he had a home in New York, a home in France, a home, like he had homes everywhere. And I quite honestly became mesmerized by the wealth. And I always say this early on is my path to entrepreneurship and what attracted me, I think was for me, cause I don't wanna make a values judgment, but for me, it turned out not to be the right path. I was focused on the money. I was focused on, I wanted to buy a Rolex. I'll never forget it. I wanted to buy a Rolex and I wanted to buy a BMW uh, when I got out of undergrad. That was my focus. If I can just have a Rolex and a BMW, I was good. And it turned out that I bought a fake Rolex <laughs> and I bought a used BMW, right? So I was winning. Kind of. Pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really. But when I got out, out of university, my first endeavor into entrepreneurship is I created a company called Animal Spot. It was a software management company. So what we did is we designed animal shelters. So we, in the United States, I guess here you have animal shelters. So in the US we have animal shelters, but they had a hard time managing the data in the animal shelters. Because you have all the animals coming in, there's health issues, there's people that are adopting, et cetera. So we would design software, we would provide the software for free to the animal shelter, and then we would take the data and we would sell the data to pet food manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies. That was the first company that I raised money for. And I'll never forget it. I, how I raised it was, I was literally at a dinner with an investor, and it was one of those where he wrote on a napkin how much he was going to invest. He invested $100,000 into the business. And what did I, what was, of course, it, my focus was money. So what, what do you think I did at, at the moment that he invested that money, or he said he would invest, what, what was I thinking? New BMW, well, not close, but what, what, what was I thinking? You bought the fake Rolex. I bought the fake Rolex. No, I had the fake Rolex when I went to that meeting. I was just thinking what my net worth was. It was, to me, it, when I look back, it was stupid. But quite honestly, I'll never forget, I ran home, I told my then girlfriend, who had bought the book for me, who was then more than a girlfriend at that point, I said, look at my valuation. I think I'm a millionaire on paper. 
think about that. Yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't a focus on the product. It wasn't a focus on the service. It wasn't a focus on, it was just a focus on, wow, look at this valuation. And so I basically burned through that business. Then from there, I went to business school. And then after business school, I got the job that really changed my life. And this is, and, and Adam, you know this story. So after business school, I was hired by a Turkish company slash family called the UGELs. And they own the largest educational holding company in the world called Bacha Shahir Ur Educational Institutions. And what that job allowed me to do is so they hired me to essentially be their investment banker. So to purchase businesses in the United States, English language schools, universities, et cetera, right? And that experience changed my life because it allowed me to work for someone that gave me insights more than an MBA could give me. I literally watched this person go from being worth a couple hundred million dollars to being worth over a billion dollars. And I watched how he built a business, not the way that we would typically do it in the Western world, but how it's done in the Eastern world. And I started to understand that just because it's not done the Western way doesn't mean it's not the right way. And I learned so much from that experience. And I worked for five years. And as I worked with him, I was so enthralled with what he was doing as a billionaire that I started journaling. And I would journal what I saw him do. He would do phenomenal things and I would journal it. Then I left that job, fast forward, we can get to the specifics of it, but I then was hired by Oprah Winfrey. So when I left that job, and it's a long story, but I'll just keep it short, is I was hired by Oprah Winfrey. And when I was hired by Oprah Winfrey, I then started to journal all of the traits I saw Oprah, all of the characteristics of, of Oprah Winfrey. And what, to my amazement, Oprah Winfrey and Enver Ugel had very similar characteristics. And I started, and you could see how my f- focus was always on how can I become better? It was, you know, I, it was no longer about the money. It was, I just want to be as, I want to be as badass as possible. <laughs> And how can I be that way? And I would see them do things. Like, for example, Enver and Oprah, all the time, they would, have you ever uh, heard of a book called Never Eat Alone? Okay, some of y'all, okay. Never Eat Alone. Who's read that book? Raise your hand. Because I heard somebody say, yep, so now I'm going to put you on the spot. Who read it? Ah, oh, see, nobody's read it now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like, that was a very reluctant. Okay, okay, that's fair, that's fair. From that tiny bit, what do you remember from the book? Just get involved, have conversations with people and just not wander around on your own. Okay. That was my bit. Okay, yeah. That's it, in essence. So, <laughs> let me unpack it a little bit. Because that was slick. The book says never eat alone. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that was good. I'm with you, though. Good black. <laughs> that was good very black. good. That was very good. <laughs> but, you know what? I, one, one thing is I respect you holding your hand up, right? I respect that. Right. And that's something that I definitely would love for us to get to. But the book is written by a gentleman by the name of Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi, one of my favorite books, too. Never Eat Alone. And in essence, what he says is he says that the greatest opportunities that we have in life come from our weakest ties. This is research by Robin Dunbar here in the UK, recently wrote the book Friends, and also by a Stanford professor by the name of Mark Granovetter. Right. The greatest opportunities we have is our weakest ties, not our closest ties. So if Adam and I are close buddies, 
we're not going to give each other the most opportunity. Instead, you, sir, if I just met you, your name is? Steve, if I've just met Steve's greatest opportunity is gonna come from me. And my greatest opportunity is gonna come from Steve. Now, Steve, why would that be the case? Why would our greatest opportunity come from us who we've just met? Well, I've got no preconceptions about you or what, who you know or who your contacts are, etc. Whereas with Adam, I'll prejudge, I would say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a client since two... He's, he's been here the longest out of anyone in the room. He joined in 2016 and he's been here for, what, eight years? So, and he's done very well. <laughs> Steve, I love you. Steve's like, all of... Oh, everyone Adam knows sucks. I don't want to... I don't know about Adam's stuff. Yeah. But, so... To that point, yes, you'd have some judgment, but also the fact that your network and my network, we have never tapped into those at all. And there's a good chance, I would guess, Steve, that we have different networks. Yep. Right? Yep. So that means more opportunity for you, for me, for your network, for my network, right? Mm -hmm. This, in a very technical way, is called nodes. We would be a super node. That's what Mark Renovetter <laughs> says. I'm a nerd, I'm sorry. But so we would be nodes, right? We would be the bridgeway, the gateway to each other's networks, yep. right? So the point of Keith Ferrazzi's book is that this is where the greatest opportunity comes from. It comes from meeting new people, breaking bread, eating with them. Oprah Winfrey and Enver Ugel would do this all of the time. I get a call from Enver Ugel. He lives in Istanbul. He'd say, Paul, I'm coming to New York. I would like for you to arrange the following. I want to meet with Senator, at that time, Senator Hillary Rodham, Rodham Clinton. I want to meet with the CEO of Washington Post. I want to meet with the, uh, with, oh yeah, Michael Jordan plays for the Wizards. I want to meet for my, Michael Jordan, right? He'd have this extravagant list of people he would want me to go out and put together at the dinner table. And I would be at Hillary Rodham Clinton's office knocking on the door. Like, literally, you can go to Capitol Hill at that time. You can knock on the door. So would I put together that exact group? No. But the point is that he would want to have a group of the most diverse, but people who are high performing in their respective industries. Oprah would do the same thing. We would literally be at a dinner. So when I was working with Oprah, there was something that were called upfronts where you were selling a show, you'd have to travel around the United States and have dinner with different advertising agents. Oprah would have at her table, she would have, you know, some R&B singer. She'd have some, you know, multimillionaire entrepreneur. She'd have some incredible physician. She'd have this group of people at the table who she's meeting at the first time. Now, why do you think they did that? Why do they do that? Okay, you said exposure, see each other's networks, so let me dig deep. Exposure to what? To who? New to new networks. Different, different knowledge, different people. Who said different knowledge? Different knowledge. I'm sorry? Opportunity, right? They were getting all of that, all of that. The lesson I learned from them was that most of us, we get the news from where? The newspaper. Where does Oprah Winfrey and Enver Ujel get the news from? From the people who are making the news. That moved me when I saw that. The people who are making the news, right? 
the knowledge, exposure, et cetera. Now, does that mean that we can't, can we replicate that? Absolutely. And that's the beauty of gatherings like this. Adam, you're replicating that right now, right? So long story short, still in the Oprah days. So started working with, with Oprah chronicling this. As I was working with Oprah, I launched my matchmaking business. And my wife, and I say I, because really my wife, funded my matchmaking business. And I always tell the story, it's very important, is that when we started the matchmaking business, we, you know, the importance of using capital is incredibly important when you're launching a business. You all know this. My wife liquidated her retirement fund in order for us to start the matchmaking business. And at that time, everyone said she was crazy, right? But it turned out that it was a great investment. And so she funded that. We grew the matchmaking business. It became the largest boutique matchmaking business in the United States. We sold that in 2016, but I didn't get out until 2017. And then, you know, during that time, we had launched BAU University, and I came here to, uh, you know, I came here. And then in between, I've taught at Parsons. So I've, you know, entrepreneurship, and uh, I've taught creators there. So my journey has been one part, like one leg, matchmaking, relationship science, one leg, just building businesses. Sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, fantastic. And that's the variedness, isn't it, of, of the career that you've had. And the story of working, I really love the, the traits. So now I want to sort of ask a question. What other traits? You saw in those two billionaires, those specific traits about breaking bread, going to meetings, building that relationship capital. Was there anything else, like another one or two traits that you saw from those super successful people that you felt were common and that you've used? Good. All right. This is a good one. I like this. Without a doubt, curiosity in everything. They would ask questions about things that I thought were insignificant. So, for example, when Enver Yücel, like I said, he, he lived in Turkey, but whenever he would visit the United States, I remember I was in the car with him once and he pointed and, and he said, he said, do you see that? And I said, that's a curb. He said, no, do you see the height of the curb? Yeah. And I said, yeah. He, and he said, you know, in Turkey, the, the, the curbs, we don't have that same height. And then it led into a discussion and research around how in developed, how in, I mean, people can argue, I think Turkey is developed, but how in more developed nations, Curbs have higher height, right? And it, it is because of water flow, right? And it's about, right? It's, it's about flood systems, et cetera, right? But the point is that he was so curious to point out the height, right? So intense curiosity is very important. The other one that I've, I've recognized with both of them, and I've seen this with entrepreneurs across the board. So when I was writing for USA Today, my column, and you could still read read the column. It's, it was called Uncommon Drive. And what I did is I interviewed the people who I consider to be the world class in your respective job. So I, I interviewed, you know, people like, you know, Kobe Bryant, right? That's pretty cool. World class, yeah. right? Athlete, mm. with, without a doubt. Uh, I, I, you know, basically people who are world class. And w one thing that's really interesting is that they're all incredibly charismatic and I saw this with Oprah, and I think a key to being, having great charisma is a combination of curiosity and confidence. So it's kind of like how Steve, he raised his hand. He was like, I don't really know this answer. 
But he, he wants to be in the mix. But you know what? I've raised the hand. I, I, I'm going to step up. I'm going to do this. That's the level of that's that level of of confidence. But then also to be curious in everything and everyone. It's very important. When I, I'll never forget, there was one dinner that took place with Oprah, and my grandfather had recently passed away. And she, Oprah loves to drink a tequila called Casa de, de Dragones. I've never had it only that one time. Does, it, does anyone drink this? No. It's like $400 a shot. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like no human being really drinks this. You know what I mean? But so, so, you know, we had a whole bunch of bottles of wine and everyone is mingling. Because remember, it's that group. It's all these, you know, different power players. I'm kind of standing off to the side and she walks over and she says, you know, I heard your grandfather passed away. You know, I'm sorry to hear this, my condolences. And then she says, she was like, shots for everyone, right? And so boom, shots come out, right? And then as I'm going through the night, every time she would see me, she would walk over, she'd say, how are you feeling? I said, ah, oh, I'm still alive. She would say, shots for everyone, right? But the point is that what she was saying is, is I see you, I recognize you, you are important to me in this moment. That, that, that curiosity with, with, mixed with level of importance, I think I've seen that you know, collectively. And then last but not least, I would say this obsession with becoming, wanting to become better. You know, mm -hmm. This obsession with, I have skills that I need to master, and I don't have to master all skills, but the skills that I'm perfecting, I need to become world-class at. And I think there's a difference between being really good and being world-class. And I think the, the highest performers become world-class at a certain set of skills. Love it. So some amazing traits. And how have you used those traits? Is there something that you specifically, because I, I know from, you know, you, you're obsessed with the relationship aspects, aren't you? I don't know. If, how, do many of you follow, I, I follow Paul on Instagram and I love his Instagram stories, right? Because they're constantly like all about relationships. He's got lots of polls and quizzes and I'm always getting them wrong, right? <laughs> but I'm always like, oh, no, I was wrong. <laughs> but you're constantly putting them. We talk about content creation in a minute because it's very relevant to what we're talking about today. But you've got that desire around that one subject to master it. I know that. Is that coming from what you saw? How do you continue to just keep that discipline of getting better? Yeah. I, I, so what's, I think in, in the, the day and age that we live in right now is that we're over inundated with content. Yeah. Right. And what's really interesting is that there's a lot of content that's just noise. You know, that's all it is. And what's interesting is that you probably have competitors who create a lot of noise and they get attention from the noise. But you can create signal to cut through the noise. And I think the signal that cuts through the noise is when your content is so good that it touches a pain point of your customer or of your audience member. So the key is that it needs to touch a pain point. And so that's why I'm fixated on trying to figure out how I can create content that specifically speaks to my audience in a way that no one else does. And I'll tell you what, you definitely do that. Your, your content definitely speaks to the audience in a way that I've not, out of all the people I follow, I don't think anybody does speak to somebody that much. And now you've said that, I've got a, ah, you know, one of those moments. Aha moment. Yeah, I just had a bit of an aha moment. I didn't realize that had been your focus. But you're constantly talking about relationships and, you know, about 
real pain issues in relationships, aren't you? And the engagement's massive, right? Yes. So how, how does, we've got a lot of people in the room that do lots of different things and different businesses. And a lot of them would like to get much better at content creation. And that's something that obviously you're really good at. You also run the LinkedIn content creation and brand ambassadors. What would you say to people? How can they really connect and get much better at, at that at that content creation? I think it'd be a really good question for you. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we, we all want to be better at, right? And I think it's also important to, to underscore that it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality of the views. And I have to share how I got linked up with Oprah because I think this is the best the, yeah, illustration of it. Yeah. So when my wife and I launched our matchmaking business, this was in 2008, the first thing that we did is we took the money and we started a YouTube series. Now, a lot of you are thinking right now, that was the dumbest idea you could have ever done, right? At that time- Is that least, the 100K, yeah? Yeah. Well, no, that was, she had roughly 40K. Oh, the retirement. K, the retirement. Oh, it was the yeah. next one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we took that and we basically started funding a YouTube series that you could literally go see right now. It's called The Modern Day Matchmaker, right? The Modern Day Matchmaker. Now, I promise you, this is no exaggeration at all. We would spend roughly four to $5,000 per video. We would put out a video every week. And that video every week, we get about 11 views. 11, no exaggeration. And I knew my mother was watching nine of those times. <laughs> at least, at least. So it was like, my mama was watching and maybe two or three other people were watching and that was it. But we would put out that video every week consistently and we did that for months. It turns out that one of those views was coming from Oprah Winfrey. And that is how I got my job with Oprah. That's how I got into television. I w television was not my thing. That's not what my focus was. I was launching a, a series to try to create more attention, more eyeballs for my matchmaking business. And then I get a co-host job with Oprah. It, it basically solidified and, and, and qualified the business and then the business grew. But then the question becomes, well, Paul, how did Oprah find you, right? I know you're thinking that, yeah, see, you got that. How did she really find you though, right? How did she find you? Now, this is how she found me. She found me because a year prior, when we decided to launch our matchmaking business, we, before we launched and opened our doors, we started taking on pro bono customers. So for free, we would take on customers and we would work our ass off for these customers for free. It was like, who in the room wants matchmaking? I'll do it for you, right? And that, literally, that's, that's, that's what I would do. I would go to conferences. I'm a matchmaker, right? I'll take, who wants to be my client? I'll work with you, right? And so it turned out that one of the people, she was a writer for O Magazine. I didn't know this. And one day she's on Oprah's jet as we all do, ride Oprah's jet. No, I've never been on Oprah's jet. By the way, when you work for her, you can't call her Oprah, you call her Miss Winfrey. Um, so Miss Winfrey's jet. And Oprah says, I'm thinking about a new show. I'm looking for a fresh voice in relationships. This woman in the back says, have you heard of Paul Brunson? Oprah says, no. Google, start watching the show. And so the reason why I think that is such an important story is because I think that we are, we get over obsessed with the total numbers, 
how many people are watching, how many comments am I getting, what's the total engagement. Even if you engage with social media agencies, it's always, I want to get you more, I want to get you more, I want to get you no. It is about creating specific content that speaks to your customer so that your customer or your audience member, they believe that no one is talking to them the way that you are talking to them. And what that does is it moves them through, I'm sure you all know about different marketing funnels. You know, basically it's no trust, right? And you can move someone into the position of trust when they feel like you are the only one speaking to them. And it is only when your audience member or your customer absolutely trusts you that you can then monetize. And the beauty is that when you have high trust and when you deliver a product or service that actually serves a need, that's a customer you could have for life, right? So that's, that truly, I think, is that's the key. That's the key. So really building those, that trust-based content, speaking to the pain points. Yes. And I love what you did with that. You know, the, you kept going, and that series, you said, didn't get much bigger, did it? You, you started getting 25, 50 views, didn't you? No. <laughs> it was basically like <clears throat> 12, 13. It was never, <laughs> it was embarrassing. As a matter of fact, it's Adam, it's still embarrassing. If you look it up now, it's probably, you know, maybe it's at, well, I don't even want to say the number, but, you know, it's not a massive number. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I'm not saying it now. <laughs> Who wrote a note? What was the note? The modern day. I should have got his prep. Totally sold me out so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Looked out of my notes. It's the modern day matchmaker right here. <laughs> she has it to you. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing all right, man. Have you seen it? No, you haven't seen it in a long time. You? I haven't seen it in a long time. What is it at right now? So episode one, 26,000 views. Oh, wow. Wow, look at that. Episode two, 15, 13. <laughs> 15 10, or 15,000? 15,000. 15,000. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> Still smooth. <laughs> Can I say something about that too? I have not seen that in years. And when I look at that, I say, wow, I was terrible. But that's also, I think, a good reason to just start where you're at. You know, yeah. I think we become over-obsessed with perfection. We become over-obsessed with, I need the right camera. I need the right lighting. I need the right sound. No. Nah. Just pop this right now. Just, like, just do it right now because you see what the reward is. The, the reward is that you're still speaking to people, but then also by doing, you become better. You know, it's the process. It's, I always say like, the goal is really not in the destination. It, it's the, the happiness is derived in the journey. That's really where it's at. Absolutely. And that really shows you, you know, YouTube is pretty much the only channel that grows over time, right? That's just going to keep, as you keep getting bigger, you're going to, that's going to keep getting bigger, right? Yeah, you know, which it, is, who knows? Yeah. Doing yeah. well. You, you know what, on that, I just thought about something too is, you guys know uh, Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you was on that last week, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, so <clears throat> connected to that, uh, it just made me think about something. So uh, my experience on Diary of a CEO was unlike any podcast or television show I've ever been on and it has changed my life. L literally, it has changed my life. So raise your hand if you, if you like the, the podcast. Okay, wow, love it, yeah. okay. I'm just curious, anyone, raise your hand if you don't like the podcast. I'm just curious if he, see, 
Everyone's like, I love it. All right. So now, his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do you know why, though? Do you want me to be honest? Yeah, I do yeah, want I'll to be, be honest. Yeah, I'll be straight. I'll be. Uh-oh. It's a, and I'm not, I haven't listened to your one in full. I think that it's overly, and this is why it's successful. So the reason I don't like it is the reason that it's overly successful. It's very focused on emotion and deep dive emotional aspects, which is good. And I understand why a lot of people like that. But I personally would like something, if I'm listening, I want more fast paced, more action orientated, more information orientated. But the same reason it's super successful is the same reason I don't love it. Okay, fair. No. Yeah. And, I, and once again, and I like that. Yeah. that that's the conversation to say, look, I don't like it. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Though. But I respect but, uh, no, 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 I no. certainly respect it. But yeah, yeah. all right, let's talk about the, six, the success or why it's successful. Because yeah. I agree, content, how it's delivered. But the system, the business around Diary of a CEO yeah. is what has blown my mind. Like blown my mind. Okay, so first off is... When I was invited on to Diary of a CEO, they said, we're going to send a car to come pick you up. I said, okay, that's, all right, cool. That's, I like that. You know, send me a car. So they sent this car and I got a knock on the door. Mr. Brunson, I walk out, walk to the door, man in a best suit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he says, the car is outside for you. And I was like, oh my God, most of the time people just call you, you know, Addison Lee, they just send you a text message. So I said, okay, I'm going to come out in about 10 minutes. He said, no problem, sir. I'll be at the car for you. I was like, oh my God, this is okay. Maybe a little overkill, but okay. I go to the car. It is a custom sprinter, but a next level custom sprinter. So he opens the door. Inside is the, basically this. See this big screen right here? It is a, the largest screen I've ever seen inside of a sprinter. And then he says, let me show you around the car. I was like, show me around the car? What are you, what, what are you talking about? He says, so well, this is your remote control right here. And this goes to refrigerator A, which is over here. And then this button goes to refrigerator B, which is over here. I was like, what? There's two refrigerators in here? There were two refrigerators. Now, I open refrigerator A because I'm curious. I was saying nosy. No, I'm curious, right? So open refrigerator A. You know what's in refrigerator A? I'm sorry? Water? Champagne? No. Huel. Exactly. And I have now become obsessed with Huel, okay? Now, what is in refrigerator B? And let me give you a hint. I am Jamaican. Patties. There are patties in the refrigerator. There are patties in the refrigerator. And I'm thinking, okay, I know not everyone gets patties. This is insane. There's Huel's and patties. My favorite show is on the screen. This is crazy. So he locks me in there. He goes to the front, right? I can't see him. I'm in this thing. So drives me to the studio. I get to the studio, go up. His studio is a rep, because he started shooting that in his living room but he's now built a replica of his living room. He's built a state-of-the-art studio, better than BBC Studios, right? He's built a state-of-the-art studio. So I go into this, to this, to this place. There's at least 25 people 
in there. I'm talking about ba-la-la, getting me hyped up. I feel like I'm at a concert and I'm performing and I didn't even know I was performing. And slowly, one by one, they all kind of disappear. They're all disappearing. And then Stephen walks in, right? He walks in very nonchalant, right? Real cool, right? nonchalant. And then the person says, oh, you want to sit at the desk? Okay, so we sit at the desk. Everyone's disappearing slowly, disappearing slowly. And all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, the podcast started 30 minutes ago. We have been talking for 30 minutes. He has hoodwinked me. We have already been talking for 30 minutes. So it's just the two of us. There's 16 cameras, I don't know, 15 cameras, all remote control operated, doing all kinds of crazy things, temperature controlled, it's dark. There's, I mean, it's everything you could think of. We talked for probably three hours, three hours. Then podcast ends, all 25 people hype. It's like concert again. Then I posed the question. I said, this has been such an incredible experience. You should do this for other people like me. I'm on a podcast. Put me on. He said, you know what? Every moment that we would spend focused on someone else means a moment we're not focused on becoming better at our KPIs. He is fixated. You're nodding your head like, yes, you know it, right? He's fixated on how they can continue to move the needle increment, incrementally to the point where for a guest, they said they have a 200 point checklist and you have to meet the 200 point. I was like, damn, I made it. You know what I mean? So my God, you have 200 points, 200 points to become a guest. He has, he, he tracks everything to the point where when they cut the trailer for the podcast, it was the best trailer I've ever seen in my life. I use it anytime I'm doing a big stage speech. I use his trailer. I should be paying them for that. It's, it's incredible. And so what I learned, what was so interesting is I learned about attention, obsession with detail. That to me is Stephen Bartlett. He is obsessed with detail. And I think that is the key. That's one big key to success. Huge. I love that story, right? Great story. Big round of applause. I, great, great podcast to be on, for sure. I think we should have a, a chat about who's watching Married at First Sight right now? Anyone in the room? Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> She's <laughs> proud of it, too. Can, yeah, I say, yeah. can I applaud you for being proud of it? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. And I'm also watching it. There's a certain someone that holds me quite accountable to watching it, right? <laughs> wonder who that is <laughs> and uh, yeah it's been a brilliant experience right I mean obviously you came over to the UK you got drafted in for celebs go dating and you made a massive impact on that you know huge impact did really well and then got this new opportunity to do the married at first sight I remember you talking about the fact you're going to do it how huge it's been it sort of morphed into one of the probably the biggest tv shows of the year right and it's on what four times a week five, yeah. four, Monday through Thursday Four times a week. 9 p.m. on E4. And it's this huge show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, and obviously your part's about to heat up, isn't it? You, you know, this, this week's yeah. going to heat up, right? So this is when we're going to see more of you. What's it been like and how's that changed things for you? You know, how have you enjoyed it? Do you want to give us some sort of teases or some insights of what's coming? Tell us all about Married at First Sight. I mean, I could go real deep as long as everyone turns their camera off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can talk about some things, but I, I, w I will say this, though, is that 
one thing, just to talk high level and connect Married at First Sight with business, mm -hmm. is that Married at First Sight right now is, what, it's interesting because it doesn't have more viewership than Love Island right now. Love Island actually still this year, we'll see what happens this year, but Love Island beats us in overall ratings. So there's something that's called overnights and we get the overnight ratings, how many people are watching live. And then we get what's called basically consolidated, which looks at streaming, it looks at every, everything across the week. But this also goes back to, I think this running theme of focus on your customer, deliver to your customer. Because while we are, don't have the same ratings, do you know that for women, between the ages of 16 and 34, last year, we beat the Queen's funeral in ratings. Jesus. Uh -huh. Yes, yes. Mm. There was only one other show, there was only one other show that topped us and that was uh, Great British Bake Off. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, we watched that. But that's it. And so, and why do I bring that up? Because, it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I see a lot of people in the press say, oh, well, will this be the year that, that Married at First Sight topples Love Island? You know what? We've already toppled them. Because the 16 to 34-year-old woman here in the UK, that is the prized possession for advertisers. So in other words, we get higher advertising rates for our show than, than they do. So who's won? And that's why I say don't get fixated on the, the yeah. big quantity, right? It is about the quality. This is it. This is the key to the game. So just wanted to mm. throw that out. But it's been, it's, honestly, it's been a life-changing experience. And I say that because... So um, what, if we looked at Celebs Go Dating versus that, which is another great show, which one do you prefer? And oh, you're probably not allowed to say that, are you? Do you I, still want... I would definitely get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they're different, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, quite honestly, Celebs Go Dating is super fun. Uh, yeah. If you know Tom Reed Wilson yeah. uh, or, or, or Anna Williamson, mm -hmm. uh, those are two of, literally two of my best friends. I've uh, chatted with them today. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, they are literally, like Tom Reed Wilson is one of the most incredible human beings in the world. And, you know, I tell my boys all the time how blessed they are because when my wife and I go out on date night, he watches our boys. And I was like, do you know you have the best babysitter in the world? Do you realize how special this is? They're like, yeah. I was like, no, this is special. So they're incredible. Anna is incredible. Tara, who's added to the show, incredible. So I do that show. And, for and I know a number of people that have been on that show, and you obviously, and you've built really good relationships with them. They always say to me, like James Locke, yeah, who's been man. on the show, and obviously, you know, quite a few other people like Jim and stuff that have been on the show. And they always said that you built not only you built a real friendship with all those people didn't you oh yeah you're oh. like james said he talks to you all the time oh like, yeah I've, that. I've, I've sent james books yeah you, you know it's, it's one of these where i don't look at it as it's just a show and i say this all the time and i think when you have the that hungry ambitious entrepreneur spirit i say to myself i don't do it primarily for the check although the checks are good right now but i don't do it <laughs> Primarily for that. I do it primarily for the relationships that I build, primarily for the ability to teach through the platform. You know, that's number one. So for celebs, it's fun. For Married at First Sight, it is very hard. I go to therapy twice during the week when Married at First Sight is on. I take, I, I'm a big advocate for CBD. I drink bottles basically during, <laughs> during Married at First Sight. I mean, it is highly stressful. However, I 
view it as an opportunity to teach. So when we are doing, in particular, the commitment ceremonies, it's one thing to teach the couple who's on the couch, but I know that there are 2.5 to 5 million people watching at home, and we are, and though, out of those 2.5 to 5 million people, probably 99.9% .9 don't have a therapist, will never have a therapist. This is their opportunity to get some type of healing in their relationship or some type of hope. That is what, that's how I see it. And so that's a primary drive for me for maths. Absolutely. And do you find it infuriating sometimes? Because I've watched that and just people, you just, they're not listening, are they, sometimes? You know, they're hard to get through to, aren't they? It's been a couple that really hard. Is that what drives you nuts? <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're wild. They are, <laughs> almost everyone who leaves this show, I have a close relationship with. And I think that what is probably not understood enough in the public is that I know it could look as if a lot of them are there just to be on TV, but I think that we have to all accept as human beings that almost every human being wants more status. Yeah. It's like we all want more status. And television is a quick opportunity to get a pop in status. Does that mean that you also don't want love? N no. And so there are there people who want to be in a relationship more than others? Yeah. But does that mean that you don't want love because you want status? No. And so, so yeah, it's challenging, it's challenging. And also too, the reason why I started going to therapy was because I was assigning all my value to how many couples stayed together. So I've been on this project for four years before we switched to this new format. And our first year that we did Married at First Sight, you know, we had four couples. You know how many couples are still together to this day? You said none, yeah. right? Because that's the vibe, right? It's three. Wow. Yeah. And there was a baby as well, right? Yeah, and there's, there's a baby and there's a baby on the way. So we have two babies, three couples out of four are still together, right? But that's not promoted, right? And also that one wasn't a super popular series. You know what became a popular series? The next series. You know how many stayed together on that one? only one, and they have a baby. So one out of, let's say, I don't know, six couples. And what I started to realize is that, and this is the truth, is the public doesn't wanna see six couples stay together. That's just the truth. <laughs> what does that say about the public, right? Yeah, the, pub, 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 <laughs> the, the pub, public doesn't wanna see it. The public would like to see Maybe two, <laughs> you know? And so I think what everyone has to always realize when it comes to television is masterful content. Yeah. And it identifies the need and it speaks to the need. And TV is super sophisticated. Talk about, you think about your social media, you think about your analytics. You think television uses analytics? Oh yeah, they yeah. know every 15 minute increment, if you're on or off, they know who's popular, who's not, who's likable, who's not. Have you heard of Q scores before? Ah, this is very interesting. So in the United States, we have what's called a Q score. It hasn't been brought here to the UK, but they do something similar. A Q score is how recognizable you are combined with how likable you are. And the key to get a television show in the UK is, I'm, I'm sorry, in the US, is you have to ha be 
either uh, very noticeable or you have to be very likable or what? Unlikable, right? So either we hate you and you're noticeable or we love you and you're you know, uh, recognizable. It's very similar to content here in the UK and it's very similar online, very similar online. You've noticed that polarizing content wins. It does. Right? Yeah. And so this, but, but this is why I go back and I say, but does it win? Because it gets lots of eyeballs. But I'll give you an example. This is, I guess, last example is, I have a mentee who's in the United States and he came to me when he had no following on social. He literally has probably six to 10 million people who follow him now across socials. You probably know exactly who this guy is, okay? I have a small sliver of that. I make easily 10 times more money than he does every year. It is not about the quantity, it is about the quality. That is it, that's where it is. That's, the quality is gonna get you the three things that I know everybody in this room wants. It's going to get you impact, it's going to get you the ability to be autonomous in your life, control your time, and it's going to make you more money. That's what delivering on pain points will get you. Can you give us a very quick example of how would you deliver on a pain point? First, you have to identify it. What I realized, especially when I was teaching my course at Parsons in entrepreneurship, is most entrepreneurs have not identified a customer avatar, right? And most serve multiple avatars yeah. opposed to just one avatar. And when you serve one avatar, most have not identified the depth, the depth right? I know in business school, we used to call it the why that makes you cry. The fifth why. You guys heard about this? The fifth why. It's like, why did you buy? Well, then why did you? Well, then why did you? And you bring that down five times. And the why that makes you cry is the why. Like, why does your customer, Steve, <laughs> he's still, I'll tell you what, he's still awake, so you don't know, same right. He's right. still awake. He, he gave me that, oh, shh. <laughs> Steve, why did, who's your customer? Typically 45 to 65-year-old company director who's looking to retire but doesn't know how he's going to manage it. Oh, thank you. Okay, so now already I've got pushback, Steve, because you know why. <laughs> You gave me 45 to 60, which I get. But the key though, I think, and this is just me, the key, oh, thank you. Look at that. Thank you so much. The, the, the secret sauce is within the 45, because there's a big difference between a 45-year-old and a 60-year-old, right? Big difference, especially in libido. So, <laughs> you, yeah. so, so you want to pinpoint that person, right? So then my next question though is, let's say we pinpoint a 50 year old, Yep. okay, in that group. So why does that person, what is that person's number one concern at night? It may not be a concern that you can address, but what do you think their number one concern is when they go to sleep at night? When are they gonna have time to look at their own stuff? They're worried about everybody else, staff, customers, et cetera. But everything of theirs that they're gonna gain from is always put on the back burner. I'll do it at the weekend. I'll do it next year. Gotcha. What is it that they're most concerned about that, that's on the back burner? I think failing. Okay. Failing at? Everything to their family and... Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, so everything. So name me the most important, because we always have a, have a pecking order. So, and I tell you what, I hear you on failing at, with family. So, so let's say family, failing at what at family? Is it? Putting enough away to protect the lifestyle that they built up. So, yeah. Okay, so, so the savings with regard to family, right? Yep. So, but here's my point of this exercise is that when you drill down to the specifics, once you hit the specifics and it is the why that makes them cry, then all of your content, Steve, should be focused on that. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. All of it, all of the, everything else is just extra. It's just extra, it's just fat, right? We don't like fat, right? We want something lean, you know? And that's the point. And I think that has been my biggest lesson. And I see it on television. That's what we do. We drill down to the specifics. 16 to 34 year old. Okay, we know blah, 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 blah. But then also I see it with all of my students at Parsons. I've seen it in my businesses, right? Find the why, that deep why. And if everyone does that, you win. Because not only do you create content for that person, but then it allows you to create a product and service specifically for the pain point. Yeah. So the why that makes you cry. And if you went deeper on that, Steve, I mean, that's amazing. Give Paul a big round of applause, right? So when you're creating yours, Paul, the why that I would say from seeing your social media that makes them cry is that that breakup of the relationship, the being left, the being alone, have everything falling apart. Is that what you would say? Is that? Yes, and the hope that that, that comes with it, right? So the pain and the gain. Exactly. So we've got the why that makes you cry, cry. But then how do you see the game? The game. So w- w- the way that I see it is I'm trying, I'm my, okay. The secret out of my book, the secret out of my book is what I try to do across everything, television, social, mm. et cetera, is I try to give hope. Because I truly believe in, you know, if your objective is to find a great partner, I, I think that there are great partners out here, you know? And so my point is that I'm trying to give hope. What I noticed in our, in our matchmaking business is that's what our clients wanted at the end of the day. If we used to determine success based on matches, but then we used to determine success based on whether or not our client believed that we helped to initiate any hope in their life, because that's what they wanted. So going back to the why that, that makes you cry is that we didn't know what that was initially, and then we found that out by researching our customer, and that's what they wanted. They wanted hope. You know, that's like, at the end of the day, that's why they were staying up at night. That's why they were crying. I don't believe it's possible. I don't believe it's possible for me. Everyone says it is, but it's, right? So that's what I'm trying to do. Okay, so re-engineer that from into, into hope. Yes. Which is, yeah, absolutely nailed on, isn't it? Look, I think it's all been amazing, everyone. Yes or no? Right, see Hey, everybody, Adam here, and I hope you loved today's episode. Hope you thought it was fabulous. And if you did, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Could you jump over and go and give the podcast a review? Of course, I'll be super grateful if that is a five-star review. We're putting our all into this podcast for you, delivering you the content, giving you the secrets. And if you've enjoyed it, please go and give us a review and talk about what your favorite episode is, perhaps. Every single month, I select someone from that review list to come to one of my exclusive Academy days and have lunch with me on the day, meeting hundreds of my clients. So if you want that to be you, then you're going to be in with a shout if you go and give us a review on iTunes. 
please of course do remember to subscribe so you can get all the up-to-date episodes. Peace and love and I'll see you very, very soon. Thank you.